Earth podcast with your host, Jake Weaver, engineered by Cedric Swan. Hey, everybody, we're back with another episode of Midnight on Earth. I'm your host, Jake Weaver, and we're here to bring you more knowledge, more lights, more love. We have a returning guest today, the incredible, the generous Tom Bowden. And if you remember, if you look in our history, Tom Bowden was the very first guest on the Midnight on Earth podcast. So he's back all these weeks later. He's the Oregon director of MUFON, the Mutual UFO Network. And we're going to talk to him in just a second. But first, I need you to do something for me. Go to bluecobracbd.com. That's bluecobracbd.com. And there you will find Blue Cobra CBD oil, the highest quality CBD oil on the market that you can buy. Why is that? It is because the CBD that is in the oil is extracted from the hemp flower using the HIT extraction method. It's a proprietary method and no other company has this specific technique. It's proprietary. It's a completely natural process. It has no chemicals, no solvents, no gases are used to extract the CBD from the hemp. And we have a Midnight on Earth Blue Cobra CBD discount code. And that code is M-I-D-C-B-D. M-I-D-C-B-D. You put that in the box on checkout, the discount code box, and you will receive free shipping on any order in the continental 48 United States. Any order, one bottle, a thousand bottles. Unfortunately, though, this is only for the continental 48 United States, international listeners, other listeners out there in places like Jamaica, the Virgin Islands. Sorry, you can't get the free shipping offer. However, you can still get this product, but please check with your laws, the laws of your country, to make sure. And if you have any questions, of course, you can contact Howard directly. And if you have any problems ordering, you can contact Howard directly at bluecobracbd at gmail.com. bluecobracbd at gmail.com. And then you can check with him directly. And, of course, there's a money-back guarantee. If you do not like the product, keep the product. I don't know why you wouldn't like it, but if you do not like it, keep it. Give it away. You'll get all your money back. If you had to pay shipping, you'll get your shipping money back. You'll get it all back. I don't, like I said, I don't know why you wouldn't enjoy this product, why you wouldn't experience its benefit, because it is the highest quality product available and it's 100% organic and 100% Oregon grown. Period. Period. I've been very versed 
and cannabis products for a very long time, including CBD. I know all about it. It was developed by Howard Hitt, a.k.a. Big H, the Hitt Extraction Method. Howard's oil, I put it in my shake every morning, the Blue Cobra CBD oil. And I notice it. It has the entourage effect. If you happen to smoke cannabis, you can feel it work in synthesis with the THC, and it's amazing. So check this product out, bluecobracbd.com. And Howard has a whole line of pet products coming. We're going to talk all about that at some point soon. So please, people, bluecobracbd.com. Then, when you're done with that, follow me on Instagram at midnight underscore on underscore earth. That is the address. Follow us there. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you go to get your podcasts Click the button that connects us so then you know what's going on. You know when new episodes drop. Whatever's happening in our world, you know about it. And most importantly, tell someone you know. Tell a friend. Tell a person at your work that loves these type of topics, that would love to know about extraterrestrials and the UFO sightings that are going on locally and and perhaps in your area too. Tell them about this podcast, MidnightOnEarth.com. Okay, social media, shout out, out of the way. And now we're going to read Tom Bowden's biography. Tom Bowden has over 45 years of UFO research and investigative experience. He became interested in UFOs and parapsychology, especially J.B. Ryan's work as a youth, and joined the Aerial Phenomena Research Organization, a very active UFO investigation group from the 1950s to the 1980s as a young adult after college. The intriguing Travis Walton abduction case of 1975 convinced him he wanted to be an investigator. Tom's early work with APRO led him to investigate some early abduction cases. After concentrating on work and family for a number of years and putting UFO investigation on the back burner, Tom has now renewed his interest and is more active than ever. He joined MUFON in 2001 and became assistant and then state director for Oregon in 2003, and he continues to be that to this day. And MUFON, of course, is the Mutual UFO Network, and Oregon MUFON is the local state chapter of Mutual UFO Network Incorporated. Uh, MUFON seeks to investigate the UFO phenomenon in a scientific manner as funds and expertise allow. To this end, MUFON strives to establish a presence in every state of the United States and even in every country of the world. Since the UFO phenomenon knows no boundaries and is an equal opportunity phenomenon. Of course, every human being and animals, all the above, plant life probably, I'm sure. Hello, Tom. How are you? Hi, Jake. 
How I'm are you doing? Great. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for joining us. I really appreciate it. Well, I'm glad to be here. Yeah, you're back. Yes, I am. <laughs> 70, <laughs> 70 weeks later, we have Tom Bowden back on the show. And we talked about your life when you were first on the show. We talked about your history, your lifelong interest in the subject, which then blossomed into your participation in these organizations. And now you are here leading the chapter of Oregon MUFON. How, how is that going? How are things going in that world? Well, it's, it's very challenging uh, because one of, the, one of the goals that I have that, that I'm having a little trouble with is to build a team of investigators. And it's very challenging because a lot of people think they want to become an investigator, but they, when they get into it deeper, they find out it's harder than they think. Uh, and I think it, for a lot of people, it, it, they realize that it's time consuming and they haven't figured out how to make time in their life for devoting a certain percentage of their time to doing it. Um, and I will say if someone's very busy with work, and uh, family and other things, they probably are going to not really be able to find enough time to do it. Uh, so we really try to find people who are so um, uh, uh, so Dedicated, very interested in the subject matter that they're really willing to make the time uh, to do it because it it's very it's very challenging. A lot of times, retired people are ideal, especially if they have a good background in some technical area science and so forth um but um if if there's anyone out there that is interested in in becoming a a mufon investigator please go to the mufon site mufon.com and look at the various links there they have one i think it says something about get involved or something and, and somewhere you'll find there become a member and also a link to become an investigator of course to become an investigator first you have to join mufon uh that's essential so it sounds like you've had some people that have been interested and then not realizing it's a little bigger situation than they could commit to and then also I, I bet that there's some people that are expecting to find UFO debris by the third or fourth investigation or perhaps some, oh uh, you know, some situation. And maybe they're uh, disappointed in the fact that it's a little more meticulous than they realize. But it takes that meticulousness to really achieve the results, to get the right data. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. You're, the chances of, of us recovering uh <laughs> spacecraft debris <laughs> on an investigation are uh pretty much uh on a low point some something uh point zero 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 one percent and 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 maybe less uh because for one thing if if such an event occurs you can bet that uh, some crack team of the military is going to be there before we are and if even if we get there first they'll chase us off right away so we're not going to find that right. stuff unless we're really really lucky well i think people have romantic ideals they feel like oh, oh my yes. goodness they're joining Mulder and scully from the x-files and yeah. they're going out and to these sites and maybe it's not that way though it probably is still amazingly fun and rewarding oh yeah because 
One, one of the things I try to impress upon people is you get to talk to people who have had their own UFO experiences. And even if you have had your own UFO experiences, which for some pe people is a motivation for becoming an investigator, it's still interesting to talk to other people who have had their own experiences, either close up and personal experiences or just sightings. In, 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 in any case, it's interesting. Uh, but to be honest, uh, a, a fairly large percentage of the reports we get end up being something explainable and not really UFOs. Um, let me just give you a, uh, a little uh, sample here. Since, uh, since in the last two weeks, since November 21st, we have re received 11 reports, one of which was a close encounter report. Uh, basically, these are all uninvestigated. I think maybe a couple of them have been completed, but for the most part, these are uninvestigated reports. Um, but one of the tricky parts is of those reports, only four of them are recent events. The rest of them were reported recently, but occurred some time ago. Oh, so there's no uh, time for one of them. There's no time to get that forensic evidence, the stuff that's happening in the moment. Yeah, that's true. Another thing I want to point out about the kind of cases we get, we get a lot of cases with video and photography uh, attached. You know, everybody's got a digital camera on their phone these days, right? Yeah. But the problem is the quality of the videos and, and photos we get is not that great. Uh, very few of them really show anything significant that you know anything to get excited about i mean if you see a, a video of a little tiny light moving around in a in a black sky you you just don't get really any data from that you don't get a, a sense of oh this is really something you know significant you just start sitting there thinking what am i looking at right could be anything uh, yeah and so really for me the the witness account is generally much more significant than the than the photograph. What the photographs will do is they'll say, "Yeah, there was something there," and if it can confirm information, if if, if the the camera uh, if if the photo includes the the metadata, uh, which which we use for things like verifying the time and date, verifying that it's an original and modified image, and so on and so forth, and if the if the person had the uh, geolocation uh, stuff turned on on their phone, it's going to give us latitude and longitude. Uh, but uh, other than that, a lot of the, the photos, they don't really tell us that much. We have a few uh, that where the, the photos were much more uh, exciting, but not very many, to be honest. It seems like the technology that's in these smartphones and these digital cameras have trouble with low light sources over a dark background, like yes. the night sky. It, it just looks like a bl one blurry LED light. And I'm sure in a lot of those cases that the light may do some aerodynamic tricks or something interesting in that way. But it could, like you said, it could be anything. It could be a firefly. It could be literally anything. It could be a remote control a drone it could be anything yeah that's that's what it ends up being
Now, a few years ago, I had a, a really uh, fascinating video that showed a, a some a, a really bright light that split into multiple lights that swirled in a downward pattern. <laughs> but the but the original video uh, was submitted by someone who's not a witness to the event. That in in uh, in MUFON terms, we kind of take those reports and we pigeonhole them as uh, information only, which means, yeah, yeah, this report came in, but we don't have enough information to investigate it. And it's not really a, a, a case that we can pursue because we don't have the original testimony. Right. Meanwhile, in the same night, another report came in that was uh, closed by a, a different investigator. Yeah, I, I did the first case, but a different investigator did the other one. And the other one, he just couldn't get enough information. Once again, he had a, a photo of distant lights that were unusual, or actually there were about five photos in that case. But he closed that case. I think he um, closed it as information. No, he closed it as insufficient data because there just wasn't enough data. The photos were genuine, but the the lights were inconclusive. Then after a couple of years, I got a, a, a report from a gentleman who submitted a video. And lo and behold, it was the same video that the other guy had submitted uh, previously. When, when I got the, this a third case, this third report, I was able to talk to the guy. And he was the original witness that took the video. And one of the things he mentioned was he was out in Beaverton. He said it was the night of the the uh, air show in Hillsboro. Well, uh, we checked it out. And on Friday night uh, of the air show in Hillsboro, the uh, there's a, a parachute team called the Golden Knights, uh, an army parachute team. Okay. They had done a jump. In, in the evening, Friday night of the air show, where they they attached pyrotechnics to their to their legs and jumped out of this airplane. And so here's these guys on parachutes with pyrotechnics on their legs swirling down. I, I found a video of the actual event and and matched up the date and time and everything. And that's what all three of these cases were attributed to that. Because wow. one of them was was just a report with the same video, and the other one was a person out uh, west of Hillsboro, Oregon, looking uh, toward the east, and she had uh, taken photos of these lights, and the date and times all matched up, and that's exactly what they were seeing was was these these parachute jumpers with pyrotechnics. So in that going, original video though, yeah. the dark video, yeah. did it look interesting and strange? Where you it, Oh yeah. It, oh like, yeah, it, it seemed strange. like it could have been anything and, until you saw that. I always suspected it was something dropping down on a on parachutes. Okay. But I couldn't figure out what on earth it could be. Uh but you know, once once you once you figured out what it what it was everything made sense because here you had a a bright light that split into multiple lights that then swirled slowly down <laughs> in a spiraling pattern and that was the the guys in the parachutes you know going down and up in sort of a spiral pattern over the over the field where they had the uh, air show well that's an interesting point anyway, it, it shows how people can get confused by things that are very interesting but then 
a lot of these cases, a lot of the times, it does turn out to be something natural or at least terrestrial, you could say. Yeah. But over the last year, since the last time we talked, have there been any uh, big changes in MUFON or their organizational practices or anything like that? No, MUFON, MUFON's pretty stable. Um, I think one of the things that, that has been going on, and, and this isn't like a sudden change, this is an evolutionary change in MUFON. Okay. They have put a lot of effort into ramping up the, the work with uh, experiencers. These are people, this is our term for experiencers, uh, also sometimes called abductees or contactees. They're people who have had an up close and personal experience with a UFO or um, humanoid beings that are assumed to come from UFOs and uh, have had other very strange paranormal experiences that we associate with UFO type activity. And uh, that that's called the experiencer resource team. They used to be called the experiencer research team, but they changed the name to experiencer resource team because what they wanted to make sure people understood was not only are they doing research, but they're a resource for the people. Because what, what happens is people that have had up close and personal experiences, many times they're suffering from what you commonly call PTSD. Oh, wow. uh, because, you know, they're, um, many of them, you know, they're fearful. They, they have the, the people that have repeat experiences of this kind. They're ongoing for a, be, a good part of their life. And they interfere with their normal life in, in strange ways. They'll, they'll end up not getting enough sleep. It's hard for them to keep regular employment. It, it can interfere with relationships uh, and, and interfere with their, their, just, their just overall mental well-being. And, and so um, they really need someone to talk to that understands what they're going through. Yeah. A lot of times, traditional uh, psychological you know counselors aren't aren't ready to deal with this sort of thing <laughs> i bet you know they're <laughs> they're dealing with with everyone as if you know this person has a problem so maybe they have a disorder of some kind so should we give them medication or should we have them you know be seen uh you know every be week and because if they start talking about the, yeah they start talking about these experiences oh. and in a traditional psychology sense they would instantly get classified. And then you're saying they would probably get prescribed medication, but MUFON yeah, is treating only, it in a different way. Right. Well, um, you know, if, if someone's a psychiatrist, they can prescribe medication. Uh, psychologists typically cannot unless they have, you know, an additional degree that allows them to be uh, to subscribe medication. But in any case, they would, you know, be treated as having a disorder of some right kind. exactly or, you know if they look it up in the typical guide of 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 uh psychological um work i forget the name of it but they have an actual manual that they use and and you know they have a section on there on people who believe they're contacted by extraterrestrial <sighs> beings and they have a classification for that they're considered to have some sort of disorder there they consider this some sort of delusional yeah, some version of schizophrenia. Yeah, right. Ah. But newer people that have 
studied these things more recently and, and are professional psychologists, they now recognize that maybe this is really happening to people. Wow. And uh, so you will find now that there are a number of people out there that have, you know, a little knowledge and they're not so likely to jump to that conclusion, which is a good thing. And and some of those people work with MUFON either directly as part of the uh, experience resource team, or they're just on a list of people we can refer someone to if they need help and they're not getting it the right kind of help from a, a uh, typical uh, psychologist or psychiatrist. Interesting. So there is now a new understanding that's coming into traditional psychiatry, which is uh, allowing people to embrace this potential reality of these abductions. Yeah. I mean, I know they're real. We know they're real, right? But uh, it's it's bleeding into the mainstream consciousness now, which is really interesting. And MUFON has those resources and they're engaging yeah. them fuller yeah. now, I would say. So what, what have they gained from this? Now that that's being incorporated, what are some of the insights they've gained? Um, I I really can't answer that because I'm not okay. familiar with all of the work that they're doing. Um, basically, each each one of those relationships is just like any other uh, client uh, relationship where there's confidentiality involved. That makes and sense. the only cases that I would even know anything about are the ones that where I am also assigned as the investigator. On the, because each one of these cases, typically they they are a combination of a UFO uh, sighting case or a UFO experience case and a a contact experience case. And so, what happens is we'll get a report from someone who reports that they believe they're being you know um, abducted or somehow alien beings are in their bedroom. And it comes in as a UFO report that is where they've checked off the box for abduction or uh, or uh, entity contact. And then it comes to me as an investigator. And then I also make sure that the person has also filled out the experience or questionnaire, which is on the MUFON main website. And this this questionnaire is the entry point for them to contact the uh, experience resource team at MUFON. And then we, we work together and collaboratively the, the uh, I invest, I uh, follow up on the case from my point of view, and then the experience resource team member contacts the, the, the reporting person as well and has a conversation with them. Uh, and uh, uh, it goes over the, questionnaire that they filled out and asked more questions and 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 basically we want, uh, the really important thing here is we want to build a relationship with of trust with these individuals right so that they have someone they know they can talk to that's not going to make uh, fun of them is not going to belittle the the nature of the experience because we know that it's very important to to establish that trust. These people have already gone through typically a lot of stress in their life because of what's been happening to them. And, and we find that people who are experiencing these things, it's not just a, a one-time thing or recent development. A lot of them have been experiencing these, these things since uh, maybe early childhood or 
maybe uh, far back in, in their lives. And then we find out that not only do they experience them, but other family members also experience these things. So, so then we're, we're dealing with someone whose, whose experiences, their lifelong experiences are out of the norm from the point of view of most people. And so they're already dealing with this feeling of rejection by other people. Uh, and, you know, enough, enough so that, that people, uh, people that have these things, they, they have certain behavior, behavior patterns that are a little strange, like some of them decide they have to move all the time. They'll live somewhere where they're having these experiences and then they want to get away. So they decide they're going to buy a motorhome and drive halfway across the country and look for a different place to live or something. I mean, these are real, these are from real cases that I've dealt with. Sure. Sure. And then they'll try, yeah, they'll try living another place and the same thing happens and then they pick up and move again. And then they finally realize it doesn't matter where I go, they're going to find me. So then usually end up coming back home because that's where they have a network of friends or whatever. But it's 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 amazing. You you see these patterns of behavior, and you and uh, and and you realize that these person these people have been dealing with uh, some really difficult uh, issues in their life. So it feels good then to have that uh, you know being validated by oh, people very, yes. that are intelligent like yourself and professional and you get that validation for people that have probably been shunned by other people that they've told the story to. And finally, I guess you could say you're like a support group in a way, right? Absolutely. <laughs> that is, that is really what it comes down to. And, and yeah, and you're, you're right. And, and they will they tell you, they expressly say that they say, Oh, I'm so glad I have someone to talk to about this that doesn't just think I'm crazy. And, you know, I mean, this is a repeat, this is a repeating pattern that we deal with. Yeah. And I'm sure with all, you know, 45 years later, you've probably seen this pattern hundreds of times in a way. Well, yeah. I don't know if it's hundreds for me, but, but overall in, in the literature, yeah, definitely hundreds. So how is the group looking right now? The Oregon MUFON team, how many people are in it? What are their positions? Are you thin in the ranks? I I know you're asking people to sign up earlier, but how are we right now? My membership is growing, and these are just people who sign up to be MUFON members, and they just want to be part of the group, support MUFON's work, and get the the monthly newsletter. So things are growing. We have a a terrific newsletter. The the MUFON uh, journal is a really interesting and informative journal. It's about a 24-page journal, not a lot of ads, just about all articles, and it's... um, and it's a uh, uh, paper printed, printed on paper if you want to get it that way. And if you want a little less expensive uh, option, you can get it just electronically. But electronic uh, journals like this are actually kind of handy because we can have better graphics electronically than, than we can do uh, yeah. in the print version. Because, you know, you can't embed a video in a printed <laughs> Uh, magazine but you can do it you can do it in an electronic magazine you know so uh, already or supply a link to a youtube or whatever sure yeah so membership is growing but what about the actual field researchers that's difficult i'm i i struggle to keep people working uh, on it right now i have three people okay who are 
who are active. Um, and but even even the, the active ones, sometimes they have issues in their lives that take over and get in the way. And then for a while, I'll have a little trouble keeping them going. And right now I have really only one person besides myself that that I can rely on to keep plugging away and working cases. Uh, there's another one who's potentially uh, uh, ready to resume. He had a health issue that knocked him out of the picture for about six months. And he said he's ready to get back, but he's starting slow because yeah. of the heart problem he had. And then I have a third one who is just really uh, kind of struggling uh, and not really on the ball. It's it's hard. It's <laughs> hard. Bet. You know, I and I and he said I'd it's really volunteer like to work. Have more people that that would really like to jump in there and do this work. Uh, but honestly, when when I show people what and and they get trained by MUFON, it's part of the deal. If you sign up to become an investigator. It costs you some money uh, because you got to uh, buy the manual and uh, and uh, there's a certain. So uh, there's a level of commitment. There's a, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a financial commitment. So people put uh, and that you, in. And, and it's then... a volunteer. It's a volunteer job. So you're not going to get that money back. It's just, you know, you pay the money and you get the information and you. But then once if you if you, you know, sign up. And and I you follow through. I train each person. Um, I work with them really closely, and I make sure all their questions are answered as much as possible. I give them resources, online resources to look for uh, to help them do the work. And then I'm right there work with them on their first several cases to make sure that they're getting it. And then uh, I turn them loose, but on their own. But I'm still here. I'm right. still here to support them and make sure that that if there's problems they have on a case, that I can help them with it. If if they say this case is too much for me, I just can't do it. I can take it back. I can take over and give them something else. And and you know, there's just a lot to it. And you know, I mentioned the the, the videos and photos. Well, I would say probably these days about half of the cases we get come with videos or photos. Well, that just adds another complexity to every case right. because we got to go out and do some verification of that and, you know, look up stuff. And sometimes people send photos that are not originals. Most of them are not trying to pull, pull any uh, stunt or anything. Sure. They're just They just think, oh, they're helping us by zooming in and cropping the, the photo. Well, we don't really want people to do that. We want the original because we can zoom in and crop. But we want to see all the metadata that goes with the original. And so then we have to turn around and ask them, oh, could you try to get the original and not send me the screenshot or the or the the cropped version or whatever you sent? And then, you know, some people are really good at doing that and other people have trouble. They don't understand the technical aspects. So there's a lot of, you know, it just adds more layers. There's more layers of investigation and all of those layers take energy and time and resources. Yes. And, and that is probably why it's hard for some people. They sign up, they're fired up, but then they're, it's just a lot. And this hectic day and age where time's moving so fast, you know, it feels like the weeks go by like days. So uh, I I can see, but I would hope Tom, that some of those donations 
are going to help you pay for things like uh, cameras or film developing or traveling to these places. I'm hoping that you're able to utilize some of those resources in that way. Are you? Well, I, uh, uh, there's two levels of, of money in the MUFON organization at, at large. One of them is the national organization or the international organization, I should say. They get the membership dues and the, the fees that people pay to become investigators and any other uh, royalties they get from television show rights and et cetera, et cetera. That'll go, that all goes to them. Then um, the local chapters that, that, that are organized by state, we can collect money on our own, uh, either by charging member fees or uh, donations. I do it by free will donations and, sure. and people are generous. Oh yeah. Uh, I try to hold a, at least one zoom meeting a month and um, used to be person in person meetings, but you know how it's been. Yeah. <laughs> hey, we're on one right now. Yeah. So yeah. So zoom uh, and, and we uh, people were, people have been very generous. Um, and uh, so that money is to support our local organization. Now, you know, of course, I pay to have a Zoom account. I pay to have a, a meetup account. And then I... Uh, there are expenses. Yeah, there's expenses. And then and then every once in a while, there's an expense related to uh, things that, that are chapter related. Like if we have to go on an investigation and there's uh, maybe travel expenses involved, that money is is can be used for that. Oh, good. And we just, you know, we just keep, oh, we try to keep uh, a certain treasury going. And then I have to pay MUFON, and and some people don't understand this, but MUFON had to make sure that the name MUFON was a registered trademark. Otherwise, right. people could create a MUFON website or a MUFON uh just anything. They could just use the and brand were, and do they anything. They would be not even related to MUFON. So now it is an official registered trademark with the government. And so um, I pay a fee to MUFON for uh, the license of using the MUFON name. And it's not a huge fee. It's only 150 I think, or 110 I forget what the exact amount is. But they, what they do... For me, in return, is they uh, they give me as state director a free membership for the year, and so that works very well because some of the states are very small; they don't have much treasury, and so what they're asking the those state directors to do is pay out of their pocket to um, to use the MUFON name, but then that money turns around and becomes their payment as to become state director uh, uh, to, to be the, a MUFON member for the next year as state director. Right. Right. So, you know, they, they're trying to work with everyone to make the whole money situation work, but MUFON is not a well-funded organization. You know, they get all our money from membership fees and stuff like that. They don't get grants from the government <laughs> or from universities <laughs> or anything like that. I bet. So it, you you take a typical church in in a say a suburban city. You have you know these churches. Some of them have you know fairly large membership. Most of those churches have more money coming in 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 their 
tithes or donations than the entire international new foreign organization oh yeah has in in their budget so you know people think well why can't MUFON do this and why can't MUFON do that and i always tell them okay you want MUFON to do that you know the mutual part of the name that means we all work together okay so join MUFON and give give us some ideas about what you want to do and then we'll work on it together but you can't just sit on the outside and say, well, I think MUFON should do this or that. That's not how it works. Right. Well, perhaps, Tom, you should start a religion. Maybe MUFON should be a religion now. And no, just, and then- no, no, no. <laughs> no, we can't do that. I, I got to tell you, that is my, one just of my make, big pet peeves. Let's just it's make an alien. A, <laughs> let's no, just make an alien. The system. <laughs> I know, See, of course, of course, but let's just make an alien, uh, the the messianic figure, uh, kind of like Dune or something, and then and then you could get, make millions, and then all of a sudden you'll have all this money. I'm sure you heard about how uh, they found uh, bags of cash in the wall at a mega church, the Joel Osteen, uh, Osteen yeah. mega church. The plumber found cash in the walls. I was just on the news recently. Unfortunately, Mufon's yeah. not that way. No, it's okay. First of all, we we we're not going to sell our souls and and for that you know right. payoff because because the important thing is Mufon needs to be a credible organization based on rational thinking. If you go you know over the top with stuff like that, now I have to give you a real case in point. A few years back, um, one of the International directors agreed to uh, have the the MUFON symposium, the, the annual symposium, which is our convention, uh, be basically taken over by people with these whacked out conspiracy theory type ideas. Uh, people claiming to be part of the, and this was before the official name of Space Force. Okay. They said they were part of the military, the secret space. Secret space program. Yeah, I've heard about that. Yeah, the secret space program. And they were doing things like they were going through uh, portals and jumping to Mars and all this stuff. This is all stuff they were telling us. And and it was a bunch of wacky stuff. And it it made some of the MUFON members so mad that they quit. And I'm not just talking about any members i'm talking about some of our best most qualified investigative people they just left mufon and and some of them started up their own uh smaller organization uh at, that's based in uh i think alabama wow, it, it was so frustrating it was so divisive oh, it was bad yeah it was very it was very bad now they made a lot of money on that uh symposium because you know, it was it was in in Las Vegas, which is a easy drive from from the Southern California area. And for whatever reason, Southern California is a hotbed of a lot of, you know, conspiracy thinking uh, yeah. wackos. And uh, they, you know, they paid up to come and, and hear all this stuff. And honestly, it was and I, I know about some of those people that that spoke and uh, you know, I, I knew that the stuff that they were talking about was just, in in my opinion, Fiction. I'm sorry, utter nonsense. 
And you think they're yet, making it up know, for money? people that, that eat that stuff up and they're willing to pay through the nose to come and, you know, hear all that stuff. And, it, and uh, when I hear yeah. it, it doesn't ring true with me. The things you're talking about, I, I think I know about that symposium. I remember it, I think. But uh, yeah, those stories, I mean, those people are out there saying those things. I personally, my own personal opinion, I don't think it's accurate. I think it doesn't ring true with me. And when I see videos of those people talking about that, it doesn't seem like they're telling the truth intuitively yeah. and you were there in person with them you feel like it wasn't that uh it wasn't that way but is there i mean is there any kind of secret space program do you think in your opinion like from the research that you've done well th there there are definitely secret projects okay. in our government i mean I, I would be crazy not to uh to recognize that but that's always been the way it is i mean you have uh, you know, uh, not only our military, but our, our uh, uh, you know, our aerospace industry that that does the the, the work of developing these projects. Um, you know, the private businesses. So it, what Eisenhower called it the the uh, help me out here military Remember industrial was, complex. The industrial, yeah, military industrial complex. <laughs> you know, because there's there's you know. They're they're working together on these projects, right? Secret projects, uh, and uh, sure, there's stuff going on that we don't know about. But the things that these people were talking about were they were pretty much way out there. They were way well. It seems like beyond were, the pale. I mean, it seems like things that were in science fiction movies. I mean, if you think about the world jumping technology of the movie Stargate in the television series, uh, or in the movie, they live that they had a world yeah. jumping portal. It just seems like they're picking elements of science fiction and, and putting them together in a pastiche way. And then, well, that that is that is something that I thought about. Yeah, I see they they see these things on science fiction. And they start to imagine that that it really could be happening, and then somehow someone comes along that that um, you know. And I'm speaking of the average person. They may think, "Oh, wouldn't it be cool if?" Yeah. And then they <laughs> then someone comes along and claims that it's really happening, but it's part of a secret program by our government, and then they 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 eat that up, you know, they start believing that, oh, it's really true. Our government's not telling us that they're doing this. Now, this is, this kind of leads though into the questions about the recent developments with the Pentagon. Yes. Let's talk about so, that. So the, let's explain yeah, let's people, about that. Tom, and, let's explain to people in a very uh, simplified way, easy to understand because it can be complex. There was a recent admission from the Pentagon about UFOs and UAPs, which is a recent term, I believe, and they yes. came to a certain conclusion. So please tell us in our audience about that specifically and, and the conclusion that they came to. Okay, so first I'm gonna sort out the terminology a little. Okay. UFO, the term UFO originated with uh, the military. It was a term that they coined Way back when we had Project Twinkle and Project Rudge and and all those those um, those pre predecessors to Project Blue Book, they invented those terms. Uh, and then, uh, but the problem is nowadays, you know, after people stopped saying flying saucer and started saying UFO, now the the term UFO 
has become in in our common parlance, it's become a thing in, in our pop culture. And so the military doesn't want to talk about UFOs anymore because, well, for one thing, it's less accurate because not all these objects are flying and uh, things like that. So they came up with a different term just basically to get rid of the cultural baggage of UFO and also to more accurately say, yeah, we have a lot of different phenomena that we don't understand. So they call them unidentified or unknown aerial phenomena, UAP. Uh, that's actually a very good term. So what, what happened when back in 2017, when Luis Alessandro, uh, you know, came out with his uh, information and uh, the two major uh, outlets of, of our media ran with it. The New York Times and the Washington Post both ran these articles revealing the information that he was talking about, which was that, yeah, Navy pilots had taken all these cockpit videos. And remember, these are not just plain old videos. These are um, recordings of the weapon systems on these planes, and they have tons of data. They give the the airspeed of the, the the plane, they give the 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 angle angle like you know when the plane's banking, you yeah, see highly line across there. Pardon? It's highly complex. It's highly complex. It has all kinds of information that's on that video that can be understood and interpreted by a technical person. And so this this information came out, and uh, you know at first you didn't hear anything from. The military, they didn't want to talk about it. But within a few months, with all the furor that was going on, the Navy finally admitted that, yeah, those videos are genuine. And we've had people like Commander David Fravor coming out publicly speaking about it and saying, yeah, I was there. I was one of those pilots. And it really happened. And there was so much information coming out. All of a sudden, they just the, the Pentagon just couldn't deny it anymore. And so eventually, the combination of uh, congressional pressure and basically public interest got us to the point where we are today. And between uh, uh, what is the name of the guy from Florida, the uh, uh, the uh, senator from Florida that, that uh, sponsored uh, this? Was it and Rubio? It, yeah, Marco Rubio. Okay, I think. I thought, and, I thought. and and Senator Gillibrand. Now, what we have today is a, is a uh, they attached an amendment to the National Defense Authorization Act for next year, for 22, saying that they want the Pentagon to establish an official office to monitor all these uh, reported incidents. But what they're saying is they want that information to be made public, and they don't want it to be limited to just the things that happen uh, uh, on, on the basis of the military. Uh, now, uh, what the Pentagon did in response to this, because that hasn't passed yet, right? They still it still hasn't gotten the vote and been passed uh, by Congress. So um, the uh, the Pentagon came out with a, a statement that they're going to create an office, and this office is going to study UFO reports or UAP reports, let us say, but they're only interested in things 
over what they call special access, uh, special special use areas. And what people also think of as restricted airspace. And so special use area is like the airspace over an airport or an Air Force base or uh, a Navy base or anything, any sensitive military area, any sensitive nuclear area. Like you have, all right, let's say around uh, Malmstrom Air Force Base uh, in Montana, you have a, a big, a wide area with all these missile silos. So that's actually an Air Force Base. But you don't see, you know, they, I'm sure they have a runway with, with planes, but for the most part, it's all these missile silos spread over, you know, I don't know how many square miles, maybe hundreds of square miles, because they're all spread out. They don't want one strike to be able to take them all out. Right, so they right, put them, right. you know, in all these different sure. places. And, and uh, so this, this whole area would be a special use area. And uh, another, uh, what we think of as restricted airspace would be right over Washington, D.C., you know, um, the the Capitol and, and the White House and everything else there, uh, FBI headquarters, the Pentagon, everything, you know, those areas are controlled airspace. You, If you're a private pilot, you shouldn't be flying in there. And if you do, you're going to get called on the radio and say, what the heck are you doing there, buddy? You know, uh, right. either, you know, identify yourself and turn and leave the area or they're going to send, you know, F-16s after you. So that's, you know, uh, so basically what this means is the Pentagon tried to head off the 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 action by the Senate uh. by saying, oh, well, we're going to do it, but they want to do it their way. They want everything right. to be controlled in their context. Whereas the Senate, uh, what the senators are saying is they want a public office that's answerable to the public and that will give data about these incidents to qualified academic people to study. Do you think it has a chance? Do you think it's going to pass? I think it will pass. I think there's enough interest in this among the constituents, and and here you have to look at we've got a, a Republican and a and a Democratic senator both sponsoring this, and I think it definitely will pass. But the Pentagon, and, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead, Tom. And you know, if if it's got to go to the House too, I think it'll it'll pass there because what they're what they're trying to do is they want to tack this onto the National Defense Authorization Act. That's basically the next year's funding for the military. Right. And so when they, if they get it on that bill, then that bill is going to, I'm sure pass. But they did though, conclude at some point that there were a certain amount of UAPs that were unexplainable, but didn't they say that there was no chance that was extraterrestrial? No. Okay. Can you, can you clarify that then? Can you tell us what they concluded? Okay, let's let's go back to the uh, the preliminary report of the UAP task force that was set up earlier this year. And they came out with a report, I think is around June 25th. The report said that out of 144 reports that they studied, only one was explainable. 
oh, and wow. all the rest were still considered to be unknown. Wow. Now, what their analysis said is that the the uh, the tech, the behavior and, and capabilities of some of the craft were such that they obviously were technological in some way, but they had a discussion of whether they could be, uh, you know, technology from the Russians or the Chinese, and they pretty much shot that down, saying it's very unlikely that these represent uh, any technology from a foreign power on Earth. And then they, they said that they didn't have enough evidence to say that these objects were extraterrestrial in origin. So that doesn't mean they say they are not. Right. That just means there's not enough evidence to prove or disprove. And, and this, is, this is something that is a common problem with a lot of people when they start getting into trying to learn about UFOs at a deeper level. And, you know, some people, it's just a very casual thing. And it's all to them. It's all, do you believe in it or not? And, and you know, but I always say, no, don't start talking about belief because that's where it's like, you know, religion where you take something on faith. You say you believe in Jesus. You're taking it on faith that what it says in the Bible is true and all those things happened. And, and Jesus, you know, died on the cross and was resurrected and all that. You have to take that on faith because how are you going to prove whether it happened or not? Right. The only thing you have to go on is what it says in the Bible and what other people have said interpreting the Bible. You don't have a way to go and find physical evidence or eyewitness accounts of what happened. It just doesn't exist. Right. So um, when it comes to UFOs, people start to think in terms of belief or disbelief. And I try to tell them. Don't talk about belief. Talk about evidence. There you, you have go. To see, what do you have to go on? You know, uh, how can we peel down the, the layers of this to understand what what evidence there is for something, some event? And a lot of it is eyewitness. And then you have to look at the witness. What does this person know? How qualified are they to give us information that we can believe? And their belief comes in. In the trust that the person is 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 accurate in their observations and that they're qualified to interpret what they're seeing in a in a, in a sensible way, uh, you know, and 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 a lot of times you have to come to a conclusion where you say, "I just don't know. Right. I don't know the the answer to this," and that's where you end up with the unknown. Because like in MUFON terms, when we investigate a case, basically what we're trying to do is determine whether there's a plausible explanation for it. Can we find uh, that this is either a man-made physical thing or, or a, a, a natural phenomenon that someone misinterpreted? And I can tell you that I still have people that see Venus and think it's a UFO. <laughs> I honestly... And, and, and a lot of it is because people don't know that much. A lot of people do not know that much about astronomy. And, and Venus, when it's really bright, it's very impressive. Yeah. Up here in the Pacific Northwest, we have a lot of cloudy weather. And when, if someone goes out on a clear night and they haven't really 
pay that much attention to what's up in the sky and all of a sudden they see Venus or Jupiter and it's really bright. It's impressive. And they can be very excited about what they see. So, 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 you know, you have to, you have to take that into consideration. So Tom has the Pentagon's conclusion though, been a sea change for the disclosure movement. Do you think that we made a leap there and now we're, steps closer to disclosure or is it just another kind of smoke and mirrors type scenario where they give you a little bit to keep you satiated, but then make you wait indefinitely? Well, I'm not going to give you an either or answer because, (laughs) because you have to realize that, okay, first of all, all these government agencies who runs them, they're run by people, right? And people of varying levels of responsibility and authority. And so you have people and people, of course, have different opinions about things. You know, they they might keep their opinions to themselves when they're at work. And and unless something really big happens where they can take their opinion and run with it, most of them just keep it themselves because they don't really want to threaten their job security by coming out with something they're not really authorized to talk about. Right. right. So what you, what you have is a situation where there's certain information that's already out in the public. They can't really deny that stuff. All they can do is say, yeah, it really happened, but, and then they have their excuse for why they don't, maybe don't think it's important. But we know, those of us who've been studying UFOs for years and years, we know what's in the literature from the past, and we know what kind of things happened, and, and we know what other people did to cover up things. I mean, all you have to do is really study the Roswell case in depth and you, you can understand how deep this stuff can go. Uh, and so what happens is the information overall that we have about this whole phenomenon, and I'm, I'm not just talking about the UFOs you, that are seen by people in the sky, I'm talking about the whole abduction business and all that. The whole thing is very complex. And so what you have is a situation where the, the, the agencies that track this stuff, they're largely intelligence agencies because you have to remember the, the number one thing to keep in mind is UFOs are a matter of national security. Right. And, and, if, and, and the Air Force and other agencies have tried to tell us that wasn't true, but we know for sure it's true and I can prove it. Yeah. But before I get into the proof, I'm just going to say that they are a matter of national security. So what that means is then the keepers of the information are the intelligence agencies. Intelligence agencies are organized in two ways. They have two uh, aspects of their organization. There's levels of access, which are security clearance level, and there's compartmentalization. And compartmentalization is uh, a matter of what they call the need to know. In other words, whatever project you're working on, let's say you're an an agent in the CIA, you have an assignment. Whatever your assignment is, whether it's researching foreign press reports or whether it's, uh, you know, keeping track of, uh, you know, satellite surveillance of foreign areas where they might have missiles, you're, they give you the information. The information that comes to your desk is what they think you need to know to do your job. 
They don't give you information about anything outside of that cubicle, whatever your, your lane is. is. Yeah. And it's basically stay in your lane, bro. <laughs> you know, and, and when and when you go to lunch and talk to your friend that might work on a different project, you're not supposed to share information across the compartments. You're not. That's that's expressly forbidden. So, you know, what happens is stuff gets buried in, in these agencies. And if they don't think in that, that the public needs to know, then they don't want to tell us. And so some people say, well, isn't there someone who's in charge of deciding whether the, the, the decisions made about, you know, need to know are valid or not? The answer is no. The person who decides whether you have the need to know is the person who has the information. They decide. Right. And, and you don't know what their personal agenda is. And, and, but one thing you can count on is their personal agenda is, you know, as, as a person, as a feeling, thinking person, is usually largely overridden by their understanding of what their duty is to do their job and, and to keep in line with what the expectation is of whoever they work for, whoever's the guy above them. And so this hierarchy, uh, which exists even in in, you know, the, the corporate world is is, you know, controls causes the information to be controlled pretty tightly. People don't want to suddenly, you know, break out and and blow the whistle because it's it's not comfortable. One thing I, I want to point out now, the term whistleblower, we all know what a whistleblower is. Right. Um, I'm going to make a statement that some people will maybe get mad at me about, and that's too bad. Go for it, please. There's no such thing as an anonymous whistleblower. Exactly. So when I hear this, I say, I I read this stuff on the internet. Oh, an anonymous whistleblower said that such and such happened and blah, blah, blah. I say, I'm sorry, there's no such thing. A whistleblower is a person who puts their reputation and and identity on the line and comes forward and says, I think this is not right. And I'm going to tell people about it in my and the reason you can believe me is because I work in X, Y, Z department and I have seen these documents and I have seen this and that. That's how I know if someone's an anonymous whistleblower, there's nothing to back up what they say. Anyone can say that. Did you just make up stuff and say, oh, I'm an anonymous whistleblower and I and I know this. It just doesn't wash. I'm sorry. Right. And you look at the, the, the real situation with any any major incident that's happened in our politics where someone has come forward and said what they know. You look at, you know, the impeachment uh, um, uh, actions against uh, President Trump. Those those were uh, backed up by people in the know who worked in those departments and knew what happened and knew who said what to whom and heard phone conversations or were involved in meetings. And they knew what happened and they were talking about that. That's what a whistleblower is. It's not someone, some mysterious person that no one's ever heard of. 
and they can't even figure out who they really are. So you're saying a lot of that anonymous whistleblower stuff could be disinformation is what you're saying. It could be, or it could just be somebody Fiction. that just <laughs> wants to attract attention on the internet and likes, likes to, you know, create uh, havoc. Sure. But honestly, there is a lot of disinformation on the internet. And we know that. Of course. But, you know, just to close out that discussion that we had about the, the Pentagon. So in 2022, that's really the evolution of that experience. In 2022, there could be this office that if everything yeah. passes, there could be this office that's uh, interfacing with civilians that has this UFO information. But if it doesn't pass, then everything just kind of goes back in the closet, goes back in the shelf. And gets uh, put no, away. I think so, yeah. But the, the Pentagon did say they're going to create this this new office. And um, I'm sorry, I don't remember the acronym. Okay. It's a little bit of a mouthful. <laughs> but this this is supposed to monitor, um, you know, various sightings. Because you know, honestly, when when you you talk to reasonable people in in the government, the military, they they do admit that yeah, it's a problem if if we have a uh, unknown aircraft intruding onto, you know, the uh, yeah, airspace is a around a commercial air airport that could create an accident. It's a safety issue. Right. So they have to admit that stuff. They can't really deny it. And if it's starting to affect the operations of, say, our, you know, our battle fleet out there, our, our aircraft carriers and stuff. Yeah, it is a problem. I mean, they don't really want to talk about the military stuff. In Oregon, it's been, it's what, what is it? Today is December 4th, yeah. 2021 in Oregon. How many cases or how many reports have been logged for this calendar year so far in Oregon? Oh, uh, okay. So there's two, two ways to count them. Okay. And one of them is by when the report comes in, uh, by report date, uh, I would say over a hundred. Wow. Well over a hundred, probably somewhere in the neighborhood wow. of 120. But the other way to count them is by when the incident occurred. I don't have that information. I would have to do a little bit yeah. of a, a no, search okay. for our database to figure it out. Because what happens is we get some cases that are of events that happened um, quite a while ago for whatever reason. Right, for example, recently saying, yeah. we got a, a photograph. Uh, the guy took a photograph. Uh, in 2006, and he found uh, uh, what he thought was an unknown object in the photo, but he doesn't remember seeing it. He just found it in the photo. This happens a lot. Interesting. Um, honestly, in that case, we closed that case as insufficient data because you just don't get anything out of that kind of. Uh, personally, I thought it looked like a bird, but it's hard to argue what it is because when i when i uh zoomed in on it the pixel um pattern started to uh you know emerge before i could see enough detail to identify uh. the shape of the object so to me it's kind of sort of probably a bird but <laughs> so that's you, just, you just one don't know. but how, what are some of the the bigger cases some of the uh, interesting, more interesting cases that have happened this year. Can you share some information about that with us? Yeah. Um, I had a, a, a guy who came forward. Now this, the incident occurred in February and he 
uh, said that he found a what he thought was an alien handprint on his bedroom oh my wall. God. And um, he and I, I saw it. I went there and I looked and it's definitely something strange. And the thing is, you'd say, oh, just it's a human handprint. But no, the, the hand proportions were all wrong. The fingers were too long. Uh, the thumb was displaced in terms of where it attached to the palm. It was huge. It was like, you know, uh, the hand of the biggest NBA player you can imagine or something. And maybe then some. But that it syncs was, up with the huge. traditional gray understanding of the, the hand size. Right. Well, you, you know, th- there's one thing you have to remember about this. You can't go by any prior assumptions in right, these cases right. you have to just look at what what we're dealing with what is it just what what are we seeing don't worry about whether it matches what we think because you don't know what to think right. there's too much variation in all this stuff so what i did was i took some samples in an attempt to see if there was any unusual dna that didn't work uh the 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 I sent the samples to a lab. The lab could not find anything, any non-human DNA in the sample. Uh, but it's definitely interesting because it depended on the kind of light you used. We tried different things, ultraviolet light and just, you know, low, low, regular standard light. Um, and... But the the thing that's interesting about the case wasn't so much the handprint as the guy's story. And so here was a guy who said that he started having strange experiences in an, at an early age. And he said that all the way through, uh, you know, uh, middle school and high school, he was having what we call abductions or alien, you know, uh, contact, contact yeah. through, through, uh, and on frequently, I mean, like on a almost very regular basis for years and years and even ended up in the hospital. And I forget what he said was his medical problem. And he said, they even came in there in the hospital while I was there. Oh my God. And he was just having, all these experiences to the point where he got so used to them that he became more accepting of it. You know, I I was telling you before about the people who experienced like PTSD. Well, this guy got to the point where he no longer really felt that stressed out about it. And he's able to live a fairly normal life on one level, even though he has these frequent experiences. And the guy has a nice administrative job at the state of Oregon. Uh, and is able to function and go to work every day or at least most days and and do his job, even though he's having and is still having these strange experiences. And, you know, he's a good example of someone who, uh, well, to them, who has gotten to the point where they don't consider the whole thing negative anymore. They've come to terms with it and they can accept it and they can tolerate it. Uh, but he's not, he's not a big, you know, person going around trying to proselytize for the aliens are here to save us or anything like that. 
he's just a regular guy who's just trying to live a normal life in spite of all the stuff that's going on behind the scenes with him. And um, you find it that there are a lot of people like that. Have you heard, this makes me think about some of the abduction experiences where people talk about a biochemical reaction triggering it. Essentially in our brains, as you might know, there is the compound DMT, uh, which is released when we're born and when we die and also in extremely stretchful situations. And it's also a very potent psychedelic uh, substance and yeah. uh, it can allow the substance itself can allow for consciousness to travel into a different dimension where a lot of people report about interacting with grays and similar alien type uh, organisms. So could this be a situation where this person maybe has, his brain produces more DMT naturally. So he's able to create that interface or do you think it's sometimes how uh, these extraterrestrials follow people by genealogy and, and DNA strands? Yeah. I can, you're you bring up some interesting things that I really hadn't pursued. I've heard of DMT as what the so-called spirit molecule, yes. but I haven't studied it in depth. I thought it was just a drug that people took in order to induce um, hallucination, you know, these experiences that uh, some people say they see alien beings in, in these experiences. I didn't realize that it was naturally produced in the brain. I didn't yes. know that. So that would be an interesting research project for somebody. Uh, you know, like I say, Yupon is a big tent organization. It's a it's a it's a inclusive organization. We like to have people join and say yeah, I'm going to do research on something instead of saying, oh, MUFON ought to do this or MUFON ought to do that. No, it doesn't work that way. So that that would be an interesting thing for someone to take on. Well, there is. Um, I have I have a resource, a, a very smart guy that uh, actually maintains the Oregon MUFON website that I might bounce it off of because he did a little bit of study on DMT at some point. I think he was afraid to actually take it, although he might have taken it. It's actually but not that scary. Not. I, I've done it probably dozens of times in my life. Uh, and hmm. to be completely honest, you, you do interact with some entities in the most highest potency aspects of the experience, though it's an incredible experience. In some cases, you have a simulated near death experience because, you, hmm. like I said, your brain releases it when you die. So you, you get that experience. Yeah. However, uh, there is a conspiracy theory, of course, <laughs> that there oh is a s other secret space program, not the one that you're talking about earlier that we talked about earlier with the portals and and the, you know, interdimensional uh, colonies on other galaxies, things like that, uh, where actually the astronauts are taking uh, large amounts of DMT and going into intravenously and going into these dimensions and interacting with these beings. And even in some cases having meetings with these beings. So that's another theory. Another secret space program is that they're actually going yeah. into these other dimensions and interacting with these entities using DMT as a catalyst. Pretty wild, huh? Well, it's wild. If true, you know, that's one of those things, you know, when you start talking conspiracy theories, <laughs> almost anything goes. But the but the but the proof resides with the claimant. Yes. 
Yeah, I would you know, recommend definitely. So I would say, what evidence do you have that this is real? Right. <laughs> I, I would recommend doing research into the extraterrestrial DMT phenomenon. I forget there's a specific author that wrote a lot about it. But what? But let's talk about Oregon again. What other cases are you going to highlight for us that you feel like are strong that have happened in the last year? Well, um, I uh, it's hard to say, but yeah. And, Hey, can I go back a little further? Sure, sure, I, sure. I yeah, a, please. I got a really good picture. Would, uh, you can go back as are, far as you like. Are you up for me sharing my screen? Oh, go ahead. I, I Hopefully that? I'm technologically inclined enough to uh, figure out how to get that to work. But uh, go you ahead and give try Give me it. permission. Let's see. Share Let's see. screen. I'm going to click on it and see if it lets me do it. Most disabled. Okay, so I have to wait till you let me. I think. There we go. I think I just did. Okay. Did it work? Yeah, it did. And here we go. I got a thing here. I'm going to share this picture. Okay. And then I'm going to talk about it a little bit. This is some artwork. Uh, for people that can't see this, that are just listening to uh, the audio, I'd just like to describe it. It looks, it's a painting, but it looks like some sort of ship with lights. It's very blurry. Uh, it yeah. looks like a blurry photo. At first, I thought it was that. You see a red light, some white lights on the side, and kind of a center rectangle with some electrical field around it. Now, now, what is this, Tom? Okay. Uh, the, the two gentlemen were li uh, going off on a fishing trip in the wee hours of the morning, about 4, 4.30 in the morning, uh, down in the Klamath Lake area of Oregon. And they were just leaving the town of Port Klamath on a, a, you know state highway, and they saw these really this really bright light in a field, you know, like a farmer's field. And I think there were cattle in the field too. But they saw this really bright object, and they they both described it as looking like an A-frame. Uh, which we would call a chevron or triangle. And um, he noted that there was the red light that he think, I think he said was blinking, but it was really bright. And they were both astounded by it because they thought, is that some kind of farm equipment or what is that? And they looked at it as they drove along and then they got to where they couldn't see it anymore. And they said, you know what, we should go back and take a better look. So they, turned around and came back to where they thought they could see it again. And it was gone. They said there was no sound. And I'll forget how far away we decided it probably was, but it wasn't, you know, terribly far away. It was probably maybe a quarter mile at the most from them. Uh, but it was just really astounding. Now, this is, this is one of the problems we have, as, as I mentioned before. Uh, we rarely see photographs that are this clear. Right, Almost so they always, had to paint it. Yeah, so this, and they weren't prepared to take a photograph anyway, but this guy, he was a, worked as a commercial artist. Uh, so he was really able to do a really good rendering of what he saw. And I thought this was just a, 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 a terrific uh, painting. This is from the... Um, summer before last wow um, but i thought it was 
I thought I, I I was really impressed with this case because the two witnesses were just excellent witnesses, um, and they were just solid guys. You know, regular. I mean, these were just good old boys. You know, they were like retirement age. One of them had been an auto mechanic. That was the second witness, and the first guy was a he uh, was a commercial artist and also worked as a river guide, taking people on fishing trips and boating trips on the rivers down there. Uh, and they were just regular people. I mean, this is an amazing thing. Um, it's that, that just blows me away. Yeah. Well, it is. Uh... The, many of the witnesses are just regular people. They're right. not, you know, uh, some strange, uh, you know, way out there type of people. Yeah. Well, speaking of the strange way out there type of people, I did want to ask you about this. Now, I know that how you're going to answer this is not the official viewpoint of MUFON or even Oregon MUFON, but as a person, what do you think about people that claim to channel extraterrestrials like the Pleiadians and things like that? They There's so many people, including guests that have been on this show that claim that they have these experiences where, where they're able to communicate with extraterrestrials in a psychic or telepathic way. What do you think about that personally? So let's stop the share and then oh, I'll yeah. talk about that. So yeah. Um, channeling. The first book I read on channeling was Seth speaks. I've heard of a that long, one. long time ago. Right. Okay. And there have been a lot of people that have been, through the years have been channelers and have, you know, given us messages from these beings. And honestly, it all comes down to, do you believe them or not? There's just no way to prove or disprove whether what, what someone says, if they right. say they're channeling. And, you know, this is kind of that whole problem of objective knowledge versus personal experience. And if someone is saying in their personal experience, they're getting messages from some beings and they're writing them down uh, or they're or they're recording them in some other voice or something. Uh, you're you're just trusting that the personal experience being related by that person is valid or you don't believe. Personally, I try to stay agnostic. I just say, okay, yeah, that channeling is interesting. If you all believe it and you want to listen to them and attach importance to it, that's fine. But leave me out of it. I'm just not interested because I'm more interested in things that have some kind of objective, rational evidence that right. I can follow up on. Right. right. And that, that's your job. You're out there doing the hard searching, the, the real material evidence, the material research, the yeah. eyewitness testimony. Right. I'm sifting through, you know, the piles of reports that come in to MUFON that say, oh, so-and-so saw something strange in the sky, trying to figure out whether they uh, that's an explainable thing or not. And it's not easy, but, you know, that's what we we try to do and then we just classify them. we say okay this one's identified and this one we can't figure it out uh, there's not enough information so it's insufficient data and this one okay we we have lots of information we studied it all and we can't come to 
the conclusion that it's man-made and it's not natural. So I guess this one's unknown. So that's a UFO in our terms we call unknown, either unknown UA, uh, let's see, um, unknown, unidentified aerial uh, phenomena. I guess we call them UAP. Or what? No, we use a different term. I'm <laughs> I can't remember it now. UAP <laughs> stuck in my head, but it's it's we have a, a term for a an unknown that looks like a craft shaped object, oh, okay. like that photograph I showed you. This right, would right. be one of those. All okay. right, uh, or an unknown that is just like a light in the sky that moves oddly, uh, or or some kind of an orb that floats around and does something unusual. We just call that unknown other. It doesn't look like a flying saucer. It doesn't look like a flying triangle. It's just something weird and unexplainable. Then we call it unknown other. And then, of course, we've got to deal with the hoaxes, uh, occasional hoaxes. No, we don't get a lot of hoaxes. For one thing, MUFON has some people that screen, uh, screen out stuff. And if they they just read the reports. And believe me, I've seen some hoax reports. Oh, I'm sure. They're usually wild, over-the-top, goof, goofball stuff with bad language in, in her, uh, <laughs> injected. And, and it's usually, you know, some uh, like 16, 17-year-old kids goofing around on the internet or something. Yeah, just having a prank and, you know, or whatever. You, they're easy to identify. Uh, and then the other thing we have is, I said, information only. Like for example, oh, I saw this UFO on a on a webcam in Antarctica, and you should look at this. And I said, yeah. Well, how can I look at it? Because there's no archived recording. It's just the live webcam yeah. Yeah. that you saw, and they show me this the screenshot from their TV, <laughs> you know, or whatever they were looking at, or the computer screen. I said, that's. I can't do anything with that. That's interesting information at best, but it's not a legitimate case I can uh, look into. Yeah. So as far as channeling, you said the jury's out. You're just going to stay neutral until you have hard evidence. But as a person, as Tom, Tom Bowden yourself, extraterrestrials, these crafts, they're real, right? They're real. I believe they're real. What, What do you believe personally? Aliens, they're real. Um, okay. All right. On every level. What, what I think is that we are dealing with something, a real phenomenon that involves something that's hard to pin down. There's definitely a physical manifestation. The, the craft look like something solid. Uh, people have had stories like even Travis Walton, you know, people have, right. have stories about being on board these craft and they have corridors that you can walk around. They have rooms and doors you can go in and out of and all that kind of stuff. And so my feeling is, yeah, it's on some level, it's a physical, physically real thing, but whether they come from another planet or not, uh, maybe, maybe not. It's hard to say. <sighs> Are they people from our future that have traveled back in time? Okay, now that's another theory. That's another hypothesis that people talk about. Are they beings that actually coexist with us on our planet and have uh, 
you know, bases under the ocean or something. That's another competing hypothesis because we know one thing, and this has come out kind of relatively recently, but I would say at least the last 20 years or more that people observed how these, uh, you know, flying objects can easily go in and out of the water. Yes. With, you know, ordinarily, if you take a, you know, regular airplane, you try to fly it into the water, <laughs> not a good thing, right? Yeah. And meanwhile, you have submarines. Well, submarines, yeah, they go underwater, but they can't fly. Right. And so when you see objects that are moving under the water and then they come to the surface and they fly off in the air or vice versa, uh, one of the things that happens is, and, and one of the, one of those, uh, Videos, Tic Tac videos or something that they released uh, from the, the Navy pilots, they show an object going into the water. And what it doesn't do is it doesn't make a big splash. Ordinarily, you take a big craft like that and you fly it into the water. And even if that craft is capable of surviving the impact, you're going to have a huge splash of water. Well, it didn't make a big splash. It just slipped into the water with barely any sign of a, of a, of an impact. And so the question is, how does that work? And then, then the next question is, where do they go? Now we know more about the surface of the moon than we do about what's under our oceans. That's true. This is, it is true. I mean, people, people have really looked at it. They realize this. There's a lot of unknown stuff under our oceans. Cause look, you know what? Our, planets the over two-thirds of the surface of the planet is ocean and so there's a lot of stuff hidden there that we just we just really don't know and plus the depths of the water too it's hard for us to reach the bottom of the ocean so there could be vast situations going on in underground or excuse me uh under ocean cave systems and all of these places they could have structures it's it's mind-blowing yeah. to think about but tom yes we we've had an incredible interview. Uh, we're coming to a close, but I do want to tell people where to find you. The biggest thing is that Tom is looking for field researchers. If you're listening to this, if you're in the Pacific Northwest and you're interested, or you know someone in the Pacific Northwest that's interested that wants to do this research, contact Tom, go to Oregon MUFON.com. And there you'll find the information and and you can find where to sign up because he really needs help. Let's get the word out to people that are interested in this. All the listeners out there, let's spread the word. Let's help Tom find more support. But if you just want to give financial support, of course, you can donate there at OregonMUFON.com and help Tom, help our state, Oregon, help our local chapter investigate these situations investigate the these reports and then if you want to know just more about mufon in general of course you can go to mufon.com and tom before we go is there anything you want to leave people with besides the petition to learn more about signing up is there anything you any thought you'd like to leave our audience with 110 countries around the world boy uh <laughs> i would just say that that this this whole ufo issue for some people, it's just more or less entertainment, but 
I can tell you, this is a very significant issue. And, yes. and people really need to, they owe it to themselves to find a good book on the subject. And on OregonMufon.com, we have a link down on, on the left, I mean, sorry, on the right side of the screen, there's a list of links. And look for the one that says books. You click on that and you go in there and you'll see a, an, an incredible annotated bibliography on books to read. I suggest the books because they go into real depth. Um, mm. I can tell you one right off the top of my head that Please. I think would be great for a lot of people to get hold of if they can. Richard Dolan, UFOs and the National Security State. There's two parts of it. Part one and part two have been published. He promised part three. Uh, he's a little bit sidetracked. He's doing a lot of stuff these days. But uh, if you just get either one of those or both of those, uh, UFOs and the National Security State by Richard Dolan. Okay. Uh, I tell you, because not only is it a good book, but it has an extensive um, reference to other books in it. You know, the bibliography um, and uh, uh, footnotes and so forth. You know, as good scholarly books yeah. do have, uh, they have reference to uh, the material that the book was taken from. It's it's a great read. So you can and, start uh, there and then that'll lead you to the other books. So please, people, yeah. do that. Do that. Check out the website. Check out these books. And if you're listening in a different state, check out your state's MUFON chapter. You yes. know, investigate there. If you want to contribute there, talk to those people. Get involved that's what i'm telling people get involved tom please hold on through the outro music everyone we'll see you next week midnight